Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Hello and welcome back to the Different Knock podcast, episode number 10, with Alexander Moneypenny, Bradley Adams, and a very special guest. Connor, how you doing, man? Nice to meet you. I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yes, all good, man. All good, my friend. So, um, you happy to call you Connor? You don't want Tiki Taka? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah, you can, either one's fine, mate. It's fine. Thank you. TKC? TKC? TKC, yeah. <laughs> so, we had a game last night. We had 3-1 against Liverpool at Anfield. Um, I don't know about you boys, but I was quite annoyed <laughs> and it feels unjustified. Um, but yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to just get your sort of initial thoughts on the game, sort of, sort of working, working backwards though. Let's start with the lineup. Was there anything in the lineup that you sort of thought, okay, uh, we're in for a, we're in for a night here? Um, initially I thought it was a bit weird that we didn't include Gabriel, just given the fact he gave two man of the match performances in a row in the league. And, and he was rested in the week against Leicester. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of understood because, obviously, he's a left-foot centre-back and you want to play him on the left side. Um, I understood that, but Rob Holden had an absolute mare last night and that really did show. Like having He did all right against him in the community, against Marlon in the Community Shield, but I just think he was completely out of his depth last night. And then he had Bellerin next to him as well, who had, didn't, he had quite a poor game as well. So just that was the big... Problem for me. I didn't mind seeing El Nenian there because I think he's been played, been playing quite well the last few weeks. Same again with like William over Pepe. I just think like maybe that was the best choice at the time. Um, but in, in terms of the lineup, I I didn't think there was much wrong with it. Um, just apart from the central defender choice on that one. Yeah, it was a strange one. I thought I could sort of see the logic in in Louise. Obviously, he's, he's got the experience and I can understand that kind of, you know, playing the same lineup as the Community Shield and I think it was the same lineup as the game we played at them um, at the tail end of last year. I, I just, I did think it was a risk and I think we saw a few moments in the game Louise played some really tricky passes out to Tierney, put him under a lot of pressure, similar with Holding. And when you have someone like Holding who hasn't got that technical level, who hasn't got that um, shall we say assurance I think it would have been lovely to have a Gabriel like, and, and I know he's not got the experience he's not necessarily you know he's not been there before and I think Arteta in his, in his pre-match basically said yeah that's why he's not playing you know Louise has, Louise has got that experience but for me it, it did feel I don't know maybe a missed opportunity because I don't think we we're ever going to win that match so if you're ever going to blood someone in if you're ever going to you know give Gabriel the experience he's going to need I think it would have been would have been that game. And I agree with you in regards to Willian and Pepe. I think um, it would have been nice to see Pepe. I, I mean, I imagine Willian is a bit, well, he, he obviously works a lot harder defensively. And I think we knew we'd be sitting back and, and dropping deep. Um, but yeah, Gabriel was the one for me. Anything for you, Brad? No, I think I, I just echo the, the two of your thoughts. Um, it's hard to drop a man in Willian that's got three assists in, what, two games in the league? So... I can understand that decision and like you say about the defensive work in that kind of transition of play, he's exactly what we needed against Liverpool. Yeah, the Gabriel one was a bit weird. I think obviously Holding had two good games against them in the kind of league and then the community shield, but I think that they were not good 
representations of what Liverpool are as a as a beast. They they were on holiday for the league. They had been for four games, and then the Community Shield. It's not like it actually mattered to them, and it's the first game back of the season. That's pretty much just a coin toss as to who wins it anyway. It's a shame not to see Sabios start because he came on and made a real impact. But again, I think it, it, it comes to a decision of it's hard to drop players that are playing well and are in form. And El Nenny was playing well, so there's there's been an El Nenaissance, if that fucking call <laughs> phrase, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought El Nani did really well last night, especially in the early periods. I think he was, he was sort of everywhere, and and he he was he was blocking off passing lanes. Something I wanted to come on to a little bit later was 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 how well we we were pressing. But think back two months. I'm not sure El Nani would be in your starting lineup for Liverpool away. But do you hold out some hope for him to kind of continue this run of form? Because he's such a consistent player, man. And like you know, seven out of tens every week is is a lot more than we can expect of of, of some other central midfield players. Joe um, Willock. Yeah, what, what's your what's your reckoning on El Nani at the moment? Um, I feel like he's been at the club for about 32 years, and he's only about 28. <laughs> uh, people forget how young he was when he came. He was like 22, 23, and he's just been around for ages. Um, honestly, I thought he'd have been sold, because the way we just weigh the transfer market, and we've, everyone's been talking about how much we need money, and like, just... Thought he'd have got sold, but um, I'm I'm quite happy to see him in the side. I just think, he's, in terms of like his playing ability, he's, he's a very limited player. I don't think he likes to pr- um, push any boundaries, sort of thing. He, he like he plays all the simple balls perfectly. He he's a very good player at getting himself in a position where he doesn't can't make like a, a a silly mistake. If that makes sense, for example, like a simple pass or anything like that. But he rarely plays the ball forward. Like I think I saw him play the ball over the top once yesterday. And that got intercepted. Um, and it wasn't even like a, a, a horrendous ball, but at least he tried it. Um, I just wish he would be more assertive in, in, in that sort of aspect rather than relying on David Lewis for playing Pinger's 40-yard. Like, that should be him doing that. Same with like Shaka should be doing that as well. Um, I agree with you when Sabayos come on um, that he looked absolutely brilliant. He he turned, turned us around sort of thing. And we desperately need that sort of player in midfield. When you can't keep hold of the ball, like Santi Gazzola was so good at it back in the day. Ozil, when he did play, um, another one, another player who can just keep hold of the ball under pressure. We haven't got that in the team at the moment. Sabahs came on and he did like that bit. And that would that obviously means we need to sign another player. And it's a bit obvious who we need for that, who's very good at that as well. And that's our, and he would be perfect for that position. It's just if we can get the money and stick it in a team and be able to do that. Yeah, I think... I think Ceballos offers that thing that, that, as you say, we have missed since the sort of Cazorla days, but an hour is an upgrade even on that in that, you know, we've got that kind of driver from midfield. I, it's difficult to say whether that would have worked in that Liverpool game. I think we always knew we'd sit back without the possession, but I did feel, yeah, we were, we were a little bit toothless in that sort of, and we were relying on that sort of outball from the left um, to get us in. I think even that, that um, the Maitland-Niles, chance that led to the goal from the Robertson mistake came from sort of cutting inside playing off Lacazette in the middle we we appear to not have you know we had two screeners but without that creativity it's difficult so um game started I felt we were doing all right I thought you know all things considered I thought we were we, we were okay I think we were, we were we were sitting well we certainly certainly started brightly um I thought we were shutting down their passing lanes really really well I thought uh if you, if you watch Xhaka and, and Lacazette they were pressing really intelligently together. Um, it looked pretty bright. Um, and then and then that first goal came, uh, obviously from a Robertson mistake. What were you what were you thinking at that point, Brad? Uh, we, it was it was very lucky. We were very lucky to take the lead. It was not even if, you know, it doesn't come from a mistake and Lacazette doesn't fluff the finish and actually finishes it well. I think if you look at the balance of play, we didn't deserve to be ahead. But that happens so much with games. Football games are about like little moments and little chances, like the decision not to send Mane off, the mistake by Robertson, um, and and a few other little a few other little points throughout that will shape the entire match. And on the on the, on and we we have to be honest as kind of fans of football and of fans of Arsenal that we definitely didn't deserve to win the game. 
because they played us off the park. And I think that's the thing. They're five or six years into a rebuild that we're eight months into. We should never have expected to really beat them. But I just think that's credit to Mikel Arteta and the work that we've done in the last eight months that us as fans, like this is one of the first times in years as, as an Arsenal fan, I actually feel hopeful of going away to a top six team, not just the top six team, but a top six team that's just won the league and won the Champions League last year. And I'm feeling at least quietly confident that we can snatch a result. Mm. So just before the goal, I realised I forgot to mention, the uh, the Mane incident. Yeah. it's These situations are always tricky because obviously they're subjective and they have, you know, match officials aren't the same every week. You can't expect complete consistency. Every situation is different. But if you look back on, for example, the Enketia incident, I think against, I believe it was Leicester last year when he got sent off. And you look back at, you know, how many times they watched that back, the time, you know, the agonizing, what felt like a, an eternity before we got that that result that he was going to be sent off. It did feel unfair, right, Connor? Um, yeah, I was, I felt quite agreeable. I was quite uh, vocal about it on Twitter, like, yesterday. Um, like, straight away, like, I was like, he's literally gone and like, she assaulted the guy. Um, but I think, like... I wasn't like, as mad about him not being sent off because that sort of decision you don't really get a lot. Like someone like just barging into someone's face. Like he didn't like go with his. I don't think he hit him with his elbow. It's more like his forearm. I think that's the reason why he didn't like get sent off, sort of thing. Um, but there seems to be like a like you said with that Anketia one. There seems to be like a big thing around ankles and feet that you can do it. You can't do it to them, but you can knock someone's head off and get away with it. That that's my problem. I think that rule needs like looking at or definitely because it, it was excessive force at the end of the day. What he did use on I think it was Tierney who got knocked down. Mm. Uh, he got straight back up again. Um, but thank thankfully, but um, I just, it, it, just because it was early in the game as well, I think that did play a part in it. The referee probably probably didn't want to ruin the match. And I think I think Brad, you said at one point as well. Like you look back on that, Man United got a penalty after the final whistle went. <laughs> so how can we not have that re-looked at? And, and, you know, surely someone in the in the, in the the sort of, in the VAR check area, I don't know what it's called, uh, in the VAR check sort of studio is going... Stockley Park or something? Stockley Park, whatever it is. Surely someone's going, let's at least have a look at that. And, and I didn't hear any yeah. any indication that they were. This is the issue, I think, that we, it's fine to kind of have... The whole reason that VAR exists is because we have live match officials. Because like you say... A match official is never going to be in the same situation where they're making the same decision at the same time. That is the entire point of VAR existing as an entity. What is frustrating is that these rules aren't being implemented by VAR. And we slightly touched on it in, a, in the last podcast about kind of the handball rule, that it's it's getting to be ridiculous in the sense that all we ask for as fans is consistency and common sense. And we now have the tool to implement that consistency. We have something that allows us to re-watch things and to go back because it was a like it was a foul on he got a yellow card. That was the perfect opportunity. Play had stopped for us to go back, review it. And if you watch it slowly, there's a moment where Mane closes his fist and he pushes his arm into Tierney's face, which by the letter of the law is excessive and violent conduct, and it's a straight red card. And I don't want to be one of those fans that bitches and moans about refereeing decisions and claims that that's why we do it, Brad. But I'm not claiming that that's why we didn't win the game. We didn't win the game because we were well beaten. All I'm saying is, is if you take Manny off the pitch in the third minute, he's not there to score the tap in. So the equaliser never happens. And then they're a man down. So it's, it's a real difficult kind of tightrope to walk about not being one of those bitchy fans, but he should have gone. And that is something that, like we say, shaped the game entirely. Because as soon as he got away with that, and it, it wasn't it wasn't even his first foul. You look at that challenge on Bellerin before it even happened, and you think that Matt, like he's pulled two fouls worthy of a yellow card in four minutes. One of them worthy of a red card, and he's not been sent off. And it it's it ha- it's happened with United, like some of the challenges that Brighton had in the box that they went down for if was up the other end of the pitch for United, would have been looked at by VAR and would have been penalties. There unfortunately is quite a big amount of bias going on in the way that things are being looked at. And it really does need to change. Because we, 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 we have the most... We're the, we're the most lucrative league in the world. We've got the most money. We've got most of like the best footballers. We haven't... Okay, maybe we've not got the Neymar or the Messi or the Ronaldo, but 
English teams can go toe-to-toe with most teams. And we have the worst officials when it comes to kind of percentage of correct decisions in the world. Like in, in the top five, like in some, yeah. like it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's so tricky, man. And I think every, every fan base will believe that there is an agenda against them, right? And of course they will, because you watch your games and you remember the incidents that, that affect you, right? I think it's clear. I think the handball rule is, is clear as day that that needs to change or something needs to be adapted. Absolutely. There, or, cer- or certainly, I think it's more about the, the sort of the, the understanding from the referee side of the rule itself or, or the kind of the interpretation of the rule itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it, it does, it, it does frustrate you. And, and you watch that moment in the Brighton game and you watch, was it the Crystal, uh, Crystal Palace game? Yeah, Crystal Palace and Spurs. And even this game, even this game, it hits Jota's arm. Before his goal, it hits his arm. I did see that. And you just go... You just, you just know Rob Holding, 94th minute in a North London derby or something. It's, it's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. I'd, I um, I disagree with you on, on that one. I think the rule... Um, we need to be in line with the rest of Europe, which is currently what the, that this new rule is. Um, I I disagree with you in in that sense. I think we, it's a good thing this new rule. Um, I I think it puts more, it makes it less subjective for decisions because it's like it's either hit that position on your arm or it's not like it's not like it, whether it was accidental or not. For example, that Tottenham one at the weekend, you might think I'm being biased about this because it's, it's Tottenham, but I think it was a straight penalty. Could you imagine if Dial jumped behind himself the exact same way, but he was on the line and he blocked it from going in? It's still in the box. That would be a penalty, and that would have been the same. So, regardless of he meant it or not, it's, it's it it would still have been the same. The die one's interesting because I think a lot of kind of there was a lot of punditry about that. But his, uh, I'm fine with like arms being in a neutral, natural place because it's about intent, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's the difference between ball to hand and handball. Sometimes you do not get the opportunity, and Eric Dyer does flail his arm up. Like you're a professional athlete. With 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 that situation, like where they are in the box, that like Andy Carroll, they're on the eighteen yard box. He's not scoring a header from the eighteen yard box. I know it's Andy Carroll, but he's just not going to score a header from there. So you never know. It is Andy Carroll. <laughs> yeah, it is Andy Carroll to be fair. But um, with um, it's like risk versus reward sort of thing. Are you going to risk yourself jumping up and winning that header as a defender? You're going to have your arms free. You can't jump without your arms being out. It's just it's literally not possible. Um, but if you want to risk that, that's that's on you, and I think that's just the way it's it's gonna be. Um, I I personally hope they don't change it, and I hope we stick with the rest of Europe, and because it makes it easier for the players in, when they play in the Champions League and the Europa League and stuff like that, because they're more used to that, them decisions. They shouldn't have to adapt to that. Um, but I that's just my opinion on it. Like I respect yours on it as well. I, te- I take your, I take your point on the European part of it. I think that makes a lot of sense. the The question I have then is the is the kind of the interpretation because I, I I am with Brad on the, and I th- I think it's 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 quite um it's difficult from a referee's perspective because they get all the flack and 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 you know you know but they always will. That's that is what it is. But from a fan's perspective, we're watching our players clearly not trying to hand, handball the ball and it hitting it hitting their hand and, and you know, potentially losing a game or dropping points or whatever it is or whatever the situation may be. It's so frustrating and it feels as though intention must come into it. Like it feels at some point that intention has to be, be read. But, and the reason I mentioned the referee's perspective is how can a referee possibly know the intention of a, of a hand? So it, it is really, really tricky. Um, I'll be interested to see what comes out of of the um of the Premier League uh, over the next couple of weeks. I think they're having discussions around it. Um, so moving forward, then uh, the three four three. I I think there's an interesting discussion here around uh, sort of Tierney and Maitland Niles on that left hand side, and it's something Sky um and Jamie Carragher picked up on. Um, Maitland Niles tucking in as a sort of auxiliary third central midfielder is, is not not something new. We've seen that in the Arteta system over a um a number of a number of games now. It did feel like though Tierney was left a bit exposed and obviously against Salah you know we saw that moment that led to the Mane goal um, and that happened and I wonder and I'd love to get your boys thoughts on this starting starting with you Connor I wonder whether there's a discussion to be had about whether that Salah moment against Tierney should be happening because surely if Tierney wasn't playing that third centre-back or, or Maitland-Niles was further back 
is it a conversation around, you know, Salah would be up against a stronger player or potentially a more dynamic and agile player in, in Maitland-Niles? And it just felt slightly as though we'd taken that risk pushing Maitland-Niles further forward so we can have that attacking outlet, but it just slightly, it, it, brought, us, um, it brought us the consequences at the other end. I think, I don't think it's that much of an issue, to be honest. You don't play Mo Salah every day of the week. He's literally arguably the best player in the in the league, one of the best players in the world. Um He's the only player I've seen give Tierney proper issues since being at the club. Um, even like in the other games against Liverpool, I don't, he didn't cause him that much issues back then. But um, against Liverpool this, uh, last season uh, and the Community Shield, but I think yesterday was the first time I've really seen Tierney. Was like, oh, he's, he's he's had a tough one today. He's had a bad game. Um, but I don't think it's much much of an issue to be worried about. Um, now I've seen Tierney take on Adama Traore and make him look absolutely terrible compared to like when I've seen a Darmaturo tear apart Manchester City so I don't think it's much of an issue to be worried about to be honest with you yeah I think I'd agree I think against teams like Liverpool you are going to give up those opportunities and as much as I do think that Tierney maybe could have done a little better in that Salah moment I think that the blame for that first Mane goal has to fall in it's the same conversation that we had about uh, the West Ham goal with Kalazanak. In this, and then the two, when it was Gabriel in the centre and holding on the other side, that neither of those two centre-backs were in the right position to either cut out that cross or to block their man. And I think that's the issue. And Mane is not the strongest of men. You could understand Mikel Antonio kind of out, out-muscling Rob Holding because the man is an absolute warrior of a footballer. Like that's That's one of his main things is how bloody strong he is. But you're, you're talking about Sadio Mane. Okay, he's a very quick and agile player, but Rob Holding should be able to go and has gone before toe-to-toe with him physically. So I think the blame on that mainly comes from not cutting the cross out when it hits the box. Leno needs to get better at coming and claiming it. And then the two kind of central, central players in uh, David Luiz and Holding need to do better at dealing with that ball when it comes in because we are going to give up opportunities like that in the future. It's just going to be about how we deal with them. And I think that was where we kind of fell apart yesterday. So Robertson reprieved himself with his uh, with his second goal and then we look better after the break. Um, I think I think sort of towards the end of the first half, we, we appeared to be, uh, I guess slipping under the Liverpool spell. I mean, they are just irrepressible at times. Uh, press being the <laughs> the key word there. It's obvious to see the gap between the two clubs. Um, and something that struck me last night was was the idea that this team, as, as Brad alluded to earlier, has been building, this Liverpool team has been building for five years, for six years. And if I sort of felt quite sorry for Arteta because he's not playing. You know, I, I imagine you look you look back at that Liverpool team with like Emre Chan and Lucas Leiva and stuff, and those weren't weren't the players that Klopp wanted, right? And you can't do everything in a fire sale. You can't sell five, six, seven first team players in in one summer, especially not in coronavirus time. And there was parts of me that felt sorry, but I wonder like. Lots is talked of of Awa and Party, but are there kind of other areas of the pitch where you think we need to strengthen it? Because for me, I think up front, I'd love to see a replacement for for Lacazette, and and it it felt like that sort of potentially after we maybe fix the midfield, that might be our next our next big move, and then potentially a keeper. Because I've said before about Leno that you know I think he's a top class keeper. But I think we see just in flashes of moments that I don't think he's a world-class keeper. I don't think, for example, he saves that Lacazette shot, even poor as it was. So for you then, um, for you, Connor, where do you feel potentially after, say, for example, we did get our Warren party and we fix that midfield or, or we certainly give ourselves more options, where would you where would you be looking next in sort of the next moment of the rebuild? It might sound weird, but I think right back... I don't think Bellerin is. Oh, I'm a massive fan. Bellerin have been since he has been like since he came to the club when he was literally a winger. Um, but I just don't think he's been on it ever since he got injured that time. I know it was a bad injury, but I just don't think he's looked the same at all. Like I thought, like when he's gonna come back, like he's had some good games. Don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna sit here and dig out Bellerin. He's still a good player. But I think like last night he just really got him. He really did like struggle last night. 
And it, what bothers me the most, he's not like the Bellerin when he first broke into the team. He used to go bombing forward and stuff like that. And I, I genuinely can't remember the last time I saw that bloke do an overlap. Of, and it, like, it, it can't help Pepe. Pepe's so isolated on that right side. And you were talking about earlier, like our left side is so like potent and that's where all our, most of our goals come from, like Tini, obviously Aubameyang and that side of the pitch and hopefully our um, but Pepe's literally got to do it all on his own on the right, and he's got Bellerin rarely gets up to help him on that side. He rarely makes a run past him to drag a defender away. Um, but like I said, I don't think Bellerin's terrible. He's the le- he's one of the least of our worries at the moment. But I do maybe after the central midfielder is sorted out, then maybe look at that. And um, I think the goalkeeper situation is fine as well. By the way, I disagree with you on that one. Interesting. What what do you what's your take on Leno then? I think he's one of the best goalkeepers in, in the world, mate. I think the only thing between difference between him and Martinez is just the height thing. Um, personally, I feel safe with Martinez in the goal when it comes to like crosses because he's taller and his handling's much better. But in terms of shot stopping, I, I think he's there's there's not many goalkeepers in the world better than Leno. Like he he did make it. Um, I know it was kind of kind of at him, but he was still there to be in the perfect position to save it. Um, I think it was early on in the game. I can't remember who had the shot. I think it might have been Mane or someone like that. And um, he hammered it right near post and he, he literally got to it, obviously. But um, I, I, I always feel pretty safe with Leno. I think he's a top-class goalkeeper. Brad? Yeah, I think, I think I'd agree with Connor if we're kind of continuing on the Leno front. I think he is a brilliant goalkeeper. The one thing that does kind of make me worry about the situation we're in with him is it's system dependent, isn't it? If you need somebody to play a sweeper keeper role and to be confident with his feet, I don't know if he's that man. He's not the best passer of the ball. He's not the best distributor. And I think that was one thing that set Martinez and him aside was that Martinez's distribution just seemed to be that little level above his. But I would agree with you that I think he's one of the best shot stoppers. And it, it was a difficult decision as to who you keep. But um, for me, if we get our and party, because I think they are both as needed as the other, I think if we're only going to get one, it's probably going to be better for us to get our because we are dying for some creativity. But I'd say striker, but not starting striker. I think Lacazette, I, I texted you this this morning that we needed Aubameyang playing through the middle in a game where we had only a few chances. You think if we had our most clinical front man, on that on that opportunity. I don't know if it ends differently because we'll never know if it'll end differently. But I just know that Lacazette absolutely balls up that touch and that shot. And if that goes in, it's 2-2 and it's a different game. It's this, Again, it's this whole conversation of moments changing the game and you don't know if the momentum swings. You don't know if it then kind of swings in our favour. So I think that for me, the next kind of port of call is maybe to sort out that front line and to get it a bit more balanced to decide whether you're going to move Aubameyang into the middle and play Saka Martinelli on the left and then Pepe and Willian on the right. And then maybe you need to consider getting another backup striker unless you believe that Eddie Nketiah is good enough for it. And then maybe you just sell Lacazette and you can put the money into kind of another midfielder because if if we think that Ceballos is on loan and is only going to be here for the season. Uh, you've also got obviously Martinelli coming Martinelli coming back. Um you've seen the way he played in Europa League as a centre forward like when he first came came into the club and he was outstanding. Like playing him on the wings is criminal in my opinion. He's gonna be a centre forward. And mm. um, you've got him there I think Eddie's good like Eddie's not a bad player like he's he's a fox in the box should we say like he don't he finishes everything from the six yard box I know you'd expect to but he's always there to do it that's the, that's the um and just showed his um mentality the other day against Leicester when I think the, the first goal was an own goal it was going to be a tapping for him and he didn't even celebrate he was fuming like oh I wanted to score that um but I, I think Eddie's Eddie and Martinelli with Aubameyang yeah two youngsters Aubameyang, the experienced one, if we flog Lacazette, um, I wouldn't be too bothered. I do, I'm a big fan of Lacazette, but he's just the difference between a, a good striker and a, a world-class striker, Aubameyang and Lacazette. Like, maybe Aubameyang does finish that last night. Personally, I think if that was Martinelli in that Lacazette position, he's he's cold as hell in them sort of situations. He would have finished that all day. And I just think Martinelli will, will end up being a centre-forward for us and do quite well there. Yeah, I think it's a good option. It's, it's a good option to have, isn't it? Like, if you can either play him off the left whilst you've got Aubameyang in his kind of later P- 
period playing through the middle and then transition him in. It's a great position to be in. It's just we need to get him back to full fitness ASAP. And then maybe we can transition to playing Aubameyang in the centre because I think that's what we're going to need going forward because I just don't think Lacazette's got the eye for it anymore. Mm. All the fitness. Mm. Uh, okay, so after the second goal and after the second half, we started to look pretty decent. Uh, you know, we, we sort of controlled the game in the second half and then uh, old Diogo Jota came on for his debut and crushed all hope. Uh, Laka missed... And a, dreams. And dreams. Uh, Laka missed a pretty... Uh, pretty much a sitter, uh, I would say. Probably one of, yeah, re- really disappointing moment with that with that shot against Allison. Also, a strange moment where he didn't really play to the whistle on that on that moment, but I think he knew he was off. But anyway, um, yeah. Anything else on the game, boys? You got anything, Con? Not really. I just, um, I'm not like it was a free hit at the end of the day. Um, that Liverpool were absolutely that was the best I've seen them play since football returned. I don't think they've been outstanding it ever since it came back after coronavirus, and they they sort of like just like went on like they they're very like they're, obviously they're a top class team. They don't even have to be at like top gear to beat teams. So when yeah. they won the league, especially after they'd actually won the league, they they seemed to struggle a lot and. Uh, they just didn't play that well, but last night I thought that was absolutely amazing. And I'm telling you now, if you know Emery was still in in management for Arsenal against that team last night, Arsenal would have probably let in about eight or nine. It would have been an absolute car crash of a, of a result. So I'm not not too bothered. Did you see the uh, picture of the space Coutinho had to run in for the third? I think it was Barcelona. It was going around Twitter. It was uh, against Unai Emery's Villarreal, and there was like basically Real, yeah. acres of space. It was a stark reminder. Yeah, I think Liverpool—they're just irresistible, man. And that you know that they've got Thiago to add to that. They've got Henderson to come back in and dictate play in certain different games. Gomez isn't massively fit. It's incredible. It's 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 really it's really amazing. It's the mentality, isn't it? As well, like Klopp set them up so well, and he he said it in a press conference before this league started, and I think that. A lot of people have been talking about Liverpool dropping off and I said that before they signed Thiago and Jota that if they don't make some big name signings, you know, they're they're on course for a drop off. But Klopp put it really well that they're not treating this as a title to keep. They're, they're treating this as a title to win. And I think that's the mentality. To attack, not to defend. Yeah, that's what we, that's the mentality that we saw last night. And, you know, Jota is a fat, I think Jota is one of the shrewdest and best signings of the window. You think he covers all three places across across that front line. It does, doesn't command enough of a name to warrant going to Klopp and saying, I want to be playing every week, can deputise and is, is a fantastic player. You know, his goal was well taken. He was a, he's a, he's a great player. And I think that... Um, it's, it seems silly, though, that they've only... They've, I, I feel like it's quite cheap. What, 43 to 45 million pounds? And Wolves traditionally aren't like a, a good club to negotiate with. So it seems like a very good deal for Liverpool. Michael Edwards, man, is, is unbelievable at getting these deals done. Yeah, and they do they do so well selling players. I mean, they sold Solanke for, what, like 20, 25 yeah, million? Jordan Ive. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's clearly a reminder of how... Of, of the gap between us mm-hmm. um, but yeah I think as Connor said it was a bit of a free hit and I think you know we, no one was expecting to win that game it was sort of nice to feel like we were in it for large parts of it and you know we could go toe to toe with them in, certainly in some aspects of the game but yeah start reminder of how, how far we have to go and rivals dropping points as well you think Tottenham drew like whether it was rightly or wrongly so Tottenham get like with that last minute or pe- minute penalty drawing against Newcastle Chelsea drawing against West Brom. West Brom. West Brom. Yeah. yeah. Chelsea drawing against West Brom. And you think like those are kind of two games that we will be looking to win. And both Chelsea and Tottenham will fall fallible to Liverpool. They'll definitely lose to Liverpool. So the fact that they've drawn the games, because I think Spurs were at home as well. well. Chelsea did lose to Liverpool, didn't they? Yeah, Chelsea lost to Liverpool. Yeah, Chelsea have already lost to Liverpool. So that's the, this is the thing. Like You think they're going to lose these games when these fixtures come up. So the fact that they're already dropping points in kind of quote-unquote easier games. like I mean, Steve Bruce is a statesman of the game, but he's not exactly the most 
tactically verse manager with the best players. I think Newcastle have had a decent window if you think about what they've added, but they should not be competing with a Tottenham. And they've dropped points. So I think, yeah, like we say, it's a free hit. We, ne- we never really expected to win. I think there was some quiet confidence because we beat them in the last two meetings. But it's it's a free hit. We got to give some people run outs. It's good for the fitness. It is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. So in the second half yesterday, obviously Pepe came on. Um, it's difficult to assess Pepe at the moment, right? Because I think he's played something like 55 minutes this season. But, and I see a lot of conversations happening, you know, that Pepe, you know, he's finished or he's, he, you know, we've given up hope on him. I haven't given up hope on Pepe at all. I actually think he's going to have a great season. But I wondered what you guys, where you guys are at with Pepe. And because I, as much as I can understand, as much as I think he's going to have a good season and I, I think he's actually going to come good, I think with some kind of gym work and with some with some more tactical work and, and you can hear Arteta coaching him on the sideline. I, I heard a lot of French <laughs> yesterday. Um, I think he's going to come good, but I can understand that conversation around him. Connor, where are you at on the Pepe thing? Um, I think he gets far too much crit- criticism um, for what he does. Like last season, everyone said he had a bad season. I was like, did I watch the same season as you? Like, you got 16 like direct goal contributions like all season. Considering he had three managers and coronavirus, all this fitness and just everything just seemed to just be up in the air. I don't think he was really that bad of a season. Like You can't expect a player to come from, unless it's Mbappe or Neymar, you can't expect a player to come from league Liga and then just score 30 goals. Not even Eden Hazard did that. So um, it's just, it's just it's not going to work that way. Uh, I think he's had a poor start this season. You know, I know I've only played a few games, but he hasn't looked... Like when he first joined last year, I thought, cool, mate, we've got a right player here. Um, but I think this season he hasn't had two, the best of starts. Um, but Pepe, I'm not going to say he reminds me of Walcott in terms of like ability, because I think Pepe's a much better player than Walcott. But in terms of like Walcott used to be a very confidence based player and he used to just thrive off his own confidence. And Pepe's exactly the same sort of player, I feel. Um, for example, like when he, when we played in Europa League and he scored them two free kicks, he banged one in and he's like, "Oh, I'll do it again." It's just that's the way the sort of player, the sort of player he is, and he's he's not like he's only, I think he's like twenty five, twenty six. Like he's coming up to his prime of his years now. He should be like asserting himself more in the team, but I think he he's got the right manager underneath him. He's he's got Arteta who worked absolute wonders with Sterling and Sane, and I'm gonna put all of Sterling and Sane, Sterling and Sane's. Um, rise sort of thing down to Arteta and Pep even said it himself a few years ago he said Arteta has been working one-on-one session with these two so Pepe will come good I'm pretty confident of that um I've got absolutely no worries about Pepe I think and confidence is the key word there I think uh something just to touch on Lacazette quickly before I ask you Brad just to touch on Lacazette I think he's he's another player who it makes it it's hard to judge him because he's such a confidence-based player and if you drop a Lacazette you you want you run the risk of 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 kind of of kind of stalling that development or stalling that form and it's the same with pepe and i think until he has that run in the team i just don't think it's fair to judge him too hard what what do you think brad i think we're all kind of on the same wavelength with this i think he's i i i see a lot of similarities between his first season in france and then his second season in france in that kind of it was a tough kind of acclimatization like I think he's a great player and I think that unfortunately he's now kind of playing victim to a situation where Willian got three assists on his first game and it's difficult to drop a man who's contributed to three goals. And con- and, and contributed defensively as well. Yeah. I think I think I think another thing with Pepe, and I'm sorry I'll let you finish a moment, but I think another thing with Pepe is he's playing in a different system and in a potentially in a more free flowing attacking Arsenal team with an out while playing a four at the back, he might flourish. This is what this is literally what I was about to say, and I think that we mind. change the system, he changes as a player. In this, in this kind of, I mean, we set up in a three four three, but we basically played like a four, a five four one, almost last night in most of the game. I think if you change that system and you get the right players into that, that can actually feed him creatively, like Connor said, 
if Bellerin either improves his game going forward or we get a new right back in who can do the overlaps, who can play those one-two passes and who can kind of give him some service, that's going to massively improve his game. And I think we do have a gem of a player there. It will just be when we change the system and when we get the right players in. It's And I know we're going to talk about it as well, but it's the Meza Ozil conundrum in that he's a great player, but... and and. Obviously, if we're talking about kind of 2013, 2014 to whenever Meza Ozil, you need to build around those kind of players and make sure you're playing a system that helps them flourish. Like at Lille, Pepe was playing as almost like this auxiliary second striker. Like he was out on the wing, but most of his time was spent in the final third kind of scoring opportunities. So unless we're going to play to his strengths, he is never going to flourish. And like you say, he's played 55 minutes of football. There is whether Whether we think he's had a poor start or not, He's played 55 minutes in five games. We can't really judge it because how how much room do we need to give people to kind of grow into a game, especially when they're only coming off of the bench? I think that's in the league, by the way, because he obviously played the the Carabao Cup. Oh, of course, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think I think also I think also the Bayern thing is 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 important to mention, and I think Connor point you made earlier about Bayern is is absolutely right in in terms of Bayern's lost that that. Um, that ability to stretch teams, that ability to overlap, but I think when he when he's lost there, and I think something we're seeing at the moment is his is his technical level is rising. I, I don't know about you guys, but I never saw Baron able to wriggle out of tight spaces in the way he is at the moment, and maybe that's something he's worked on because I think he has lost that pace. You watch him; his recovery runs just aren't as quick. Um, he's not that straight line player that he was anymore. Um, I think his technical level's risen, but in his technical level rising. I wonder whether that feeds Pepe slightly more in that Pepe doesn't have to do um, so much work to get the ball to him in that a Bayern could do that. I think also there's a there's a conversation around Aubameyang because obviously Aubameyang is playing in that kind of inside left channel and you can't ask your opposite winger to play in the inside right channel as well at the exact same time because you'll just get cut off and you'll have no width at all. So uh, yeah, it's it's really tricky. I also think his his lack of right foot doesn't help him, um, especially in the Premier League when when the level is so high and people can predict it. Um, yeah, it's it's he he's he's frustrating. I mean, what you what you've seen of him as a person, Connor? What, what do you make of his character? Because I I don't really feel much passion, but but I mean, you know, in fairness, I, I have just watched him on a screen, so you know, what do I know? Um, all I can really judge him judge him from is like his social medias and stuff like that, and obviously on the pitch, he just Looks like he just gets on with it, sort of thing. But his social media, so he's, he's always like, having a laugh with the players. He's, he seems like quite a good, like a very positive person. Like he's always having a laugh with like, he's like the the other French lads or or Bamian and Laka. Obviously, Bamian's not French, but you know what I mean. Speaks French. Um, speaks French. He's always having yeah, speaks French. So um, <laughs> yeah, that do. Um, but yeah, he's always having a laugh in that. I think he's like the players must enjoy having him around the squad. Um, he seems like quite a shy shy guy, but. Um, so I I can't recall actually listening to an interview of his. I don't know if he can speak English at all yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's quite a shy guy. But he, he's definitely not like any kind of issue for the club or any attitude problems or anything like that at all. No, I, I yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. I I just wonder whether there's a he again again. I think it comes back to what you were saying about confidence, and I wonder whether there's there's that slight lack of arrogance that you might need to push through to be that Sterling to be that Sane. You know, you look at the way Sterling and Sané have moved clubs, especially how they've kind of pushed for moves. I don't think a Pepe does that. And I think that's kind of indicative of, of the guy he is. He seems like a really nice guy. He seems like someone who is, uh, you know, potentially, you know, obviously gets on with the with the team, as, as you say. But I wonder whether he lacks just that slight edge to just push him over that level. Uh, possibly. I don't know. Would, would you say, would you add to that, Brad, at all? Um. I think it is really difficult to judge kind of anything because I think, again, social media is not the true representation of how arrogant a person can be or how confident a person can be or anything. But I, I don't I don't even think it's an arrogance. I just think there's a I, I watch him and I don't see I hear Mikel shouting, go, go, go. And I'm watching him cut inside. I, you know, all last season, even when he was on that run, even when he scored those two free kicks, I didn't see that Bamiang swagger. I didn't see that. That's, you know, you watched last night, Salah nicks the ball off Jota <laughs> to try and, even though Jota is in a much better position. I just wonder whether Pepe has that edge and I, and maybe it's a language barrier. Maybe it's a, 
um, just it's just the way he is. And, and I'm not blaming him at all. I'm just wondering whether that lack of that edge just might stall his his development into the player that we know he probably could be. I, I I see what you're saying. And I think that, you know, after winning two trophies in the FA Cup and the Community Shield, there there could be a certain amount of swagger around Nicolas Pepe that maybe isn't there currently, but he's we haven't seen enough of him. It's difficult to see that swagger because you're you're talking about Mo Salah, a man who's just won the league and a year ago won the Champions League. The man's going to feel invincible. Like he's going to have like absolutely balls of steel when it comes to anything. He'll be lashing them for 50 yards because he doesn't give a shit. Whereas I think that that certain amount of confidence is earned by success. And currently Nicolas Pepe has only just tasted success in an FA Cup and in a community shield. Maybe let's give him time to see if he does develop that arrogance of no, give me the ball. And it's also difficult when you've got Aubameyang in the team. You know, Salah, whether, I, I mean, I personally consider Mane to be the better player, but Salah is viewed as kind of the king of that side. So Salah will do what Salah wants. And if you look at the comparisons to our team, Aubameyang is. Aubameyang is the captain. He's our lead goal scorer. He's the person that everything goes through. Aubameyang is our Salah rather than Pepe. So I think it's almost harsh to judge actions off of, off of false comparisons, if that makes sense. Like maybe compare them to more than Mane type. And Mane's the same. I don't think that Mane's, Mane seems very arrogant in a lot of what he does. I just think he's a very gifted technical footballer. So uh, the mere mention of this man's name drew an eye roll from Connor earlier. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about him because I think we've avoided it on this podcast uh, for a while. For so long. Uh, we've got to do it. Uh, Unai am written, I'm joking. Uh, so Mesut Ozil. Now, uh, I think we can kind of put aside, we understand that Ozil is a very, very talented football player. It's clear he's not playing at the moment. You know, it's it's such it's such a tricky situation to discuss because there's so many unknowns. I guess what my question is is why do you think this is happening? Do you think there's a do you think it's from the club? I.e., you know, is there a, a financial imperative from the club? Is there a clash of characters? Is it a um, do you have a conspiracy theory? Do you think Arteta? Do you think Ozil has Arteta's nudes? What What is it? You know, what's going on? Um, I, I'm Ozil's biggest fan. I love Mr. Ozil, and I I can't believe he's not even in, in, being picked in the squad. But there's obviously something going on behind the scenes that no one no one wants this news to come out. And but I don't. I have absolutely no idea what it is. All of all, like like I said, all we can do is have conspiracy theories and guesses of what's happening you obviously got to take into account obviously what happened last year when you got robbed um and all that stuff with um i think it was the the chinese muslim camps and arsenal publicly didn't back him yeah the UGM yeah, they, they didn't they pub publicly didn't back him up in that um that that didn't go down well i know that um i think something else happened as well i can't remember exactly what it was um but he's he had a really bad like Per year personally, and obviously had his he just had his kid as well, which is amazing for him. But he's gonna after being robbed, he's not gonna he want to be there for his wife and protect them, all that sort of stuff, which is fair enough. Um, but if it, I was speaking to my brother-in-law about it um about a couple of weeks ago, and he he said to me, "It's like obviously he's on a lot of money. It's, it, there's no, but that's our fault for doing that, and he's gonna be on a lot of money regardless. So you might as well just play him." Yeah. This is my opinion, but he he my brother in law he mentioned to me it was like maybe he's just on that many bonuses per game. It's literally not worth us to do it, and that's the that is personally the only logical explanation of I can absolutely think of in terms of uh, playing playing ability. If it's not like a personal issue, I think it's a personal issue. Um, we have no idea what it what it is, but that is the only logical ex explanation I can possibly have for Urzel not playing because he's uh, even when he doesn't. Even when he played like the back end of last season, I'm very he didn't play a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, he's had a poor couple of years in terms of like direct goal contributions. Like obviously he's an assist man. Uh, he doesn't score a lot of goals either, but and he should probably score a lot more. 
but I th- I think like with with Özil, he creates so many opportunities, and he, even when he played badly last year, he was still creating. He never stopped like getting them stupidly high numbers. You got to remember he was playing with Olivier Giroud for how many years? And as as good as Giroud was, he scored a hundred goals odd for Arsenal. He was not good enough for Arsenal. Not as a first choice, in my opinion. Aubameyang's the level he should be. Alexis was the level he should be. Aubameyang, sorry, Ozil thrived so much when he used to play Alexis because he was the only other bloke on the same level as him. And Ozil currently has a player, in my opinion, who is on the same level as him in Aubameyang. And we're not getting to see that that partnership a lot. Like They played a couple of times under Emery. Well, I'll say a couple of times, a handful of times under Emery. And... They they put some nice goals together, so it's just I think it's the right shame the way Özil's being treated. If he's being treated badly, if it's just because of bonuses and whatnot, like it's not his fault he's been putting all that money. They made that decision. Just uh, he's the he's he's technically the most successful player since the Emirates Stadium era. So he's got I th- I'm pretty sure he, he got a medal last year for the FA Cup to play against Leeds. So. Um, He's got four FA Cups and Community Shields. And if if Ozil never came that season, I personally believe we would have never won the FA Cup. It, it just gave the club such a boost. Um, to see, I personally think he's a legend of the club. My opinion on legends are like, I, I still think Fabregas is a legend of the club. Um, but I, Ozil, for me, is, is a massive legend to the club, I think. And I think people, especially the older generation, absolutely hate him. People call him lazy and all this nonsense. He's not lazy at all. You look at his numbers and he's one of the best runners. I just don't think they understand football. Same, I agree with you, mate. I just think he's absolutely an amazing footballer. And we, I genuinely thought he would have been perfect for Arteta as well. The way, like I said earlier in the, the match preview, or sorry, match review, we're saying like, he's one of the only players in our squad who can keep the ball under pressure. Like the way Cazorla used to do it and Ozil could do it. It's just, we, we miss that in our team a lot. We miss... Meza Ozil, any team would miss Meza Ozil, and um, to not even have him on the bench, it's just it's it's so sad. And you you got one of literally a legend of the club being turfed out just because he's on probably because he's on so much money. It's not even his fault. It's just I can't stand it, mate. To be honest, with you. that's my opinion on Ozil. Yeah. What, what about you? I think I think you you absolutely hit the nail on the head earlier when you basically said you know it's got to be a personal issue because you are you cannot tell me that Matt Smith is offering you more off the bench than Mesut Ozil. I don't care if Mesut Ozil's playing on one leg. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> he is a better footballer. So it's, it's got to be a personal issue. And I, and, and I, I echo all your thoughts, Connor. I, I, I remember that moment when he signed and it was just, it was in, in, incredible. And, and, and it took, the, I agree, it took the clubs to the next level in terms of, you know, where we'd been. And, and, and you know, he's been playing with some absolute donkeys, <laughs> frankly, over the years. Um. Yeah. That. That. Yeah. I. I don't have much more to add to it, mate. I. I. I completely echo your thoughts. Um. It's got to be a personal issue, and we. We await Arteta's autobiography in twenty fifty to find out. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was going to be, isn't it? So, Brad. Yeah, I think it's it's exactly what you guys have said. It's either going to be a rift between him and the club because of something personal, or it's going to be financial. It will be that he gets money for every start that he makes and it might be that he gets money for kind of every unused substitute appearance that he makes or kind of anything like that because you you've seen with the this kind of new Aubameyang deal that he that we do run a bonus system you know Aubameyang's new deal has been rumored to be between kind of like the 275 well 250 upwards of 300k basic wage and then bonuses making it 350 to make him kind of the highest paid player. But he's the highest he's the highest paid player now, I, I believe anyway. I, I, I is now the highest paid player that's part of his terms. Yeah, 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 but it's not on apparently from like rumors it's not basic wage as in like okay. his basic wage isn't the highest, but bonuses which obviously he will get because he will start every week will make him the highest paid player. Yeah, and I buy that as well because you think how long we take to negotiate things with with players. I think we do spend a lot of time ironing out those bonuses and stuff. So maybe there's something there. And I think that it might be a situation that Meza Özil has certain bonuses in his contract. I I think he's close to like 200 league appearances. So maybe if he gets the 200 league appearances, we've got to give a chunk of money. Or 
there's got to be something financial because even if it's personal, you just need to get over yourself as the manager of a football club. He's one of your best players. But I don't think it's I don't think it's the manager. I don't think it's the manager. No, it's absolutely no, it's, not. It's got to be the Cronkies or somebody up. Up, up above. It could have been soured under Raul. It could have been soured under under Gazidis. Who knows? You, you know, maybe not Gazidis because these problems didn't really start there. But you know, a Raul, and then it's been soured with Vinay, and it's and the Cronkies have got involved. Who knows? Who knows? But you know, I think the the club not backing him over that that um issue, which I know nothing about publicly, or uh, sorry, I know nothing about politically. But you know, I imagine not being backed on a certain issue by a club which you know, you've you've committed your best years of your football career to. For a club that prides itself on diversity and stuff like that, I thought it was disgraceful uh, that yeah, Arsenal didn't agreed. go in on that and say anything. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And I've always said about Arsenal that we are literally one of the most diverse football clubs in the world. And we're so proud of like where we have come from as a club. Um, I, just, I just thought that was absolutely disgraceful the way they, they dealt with that sort of situation. They'd, I feel sorry for Ozil as well about that. I think it's a lot to do with the ownership. You know, this whole... If you think about the club that we once were, once were, we were we were the first club to field a team, including nine black players. Yeah, I see that yesterday. It was, like, it was like on this day yesterday, wasn't it? I see... Uh, yeah, I see on this day. We, we, yeah. And you go, we are so far from that classy... It, it feels like Wenger's departure took that classiness with him. Of course, uh, Wenger, as like, much as I didn't believe he was the right man for the job you know, the end of, at the end of his tenure, it's, he's always been like an absolute classy player. And I think Arteta does, he has sort of bring that back, back, back a bit. Like, for example, like when he's talking about players, people ask him about Awar and Pai, so I'm not going to talk about other people's players. It's such a, it's, it's, such it's, a Wenger it's just, it's just not It's not what you do. It's, yeah, it's just it's not what you do. It's the classy way to go about it. If you want to do business, do it behind closed doors. You don't need to tell everyone, like, the Leon president... Um, I can't remember his name now, but he's, he's always in the news and tweeting about like, oh, I want this bid. Yeah, Aulas always in the news. I'm just like, what's he doing? Why do you man? need? Why what's do you need doing? to do that? Yeah, we don't need that. You go sort it out in private. And also, I saw the Fulham owner like tweeted saying something like, "Oh, um, we're sorry for the performances. We're going to buy more players." And then like reply, and then people were like, "You need to loan in this player." Someone said, "Loan in Saar," and he was like, "You can't. We're not going to loan in Saar." But, but imagine like, imagine Edu just replying to people on Twitter. <laughs> it's so weird. It's bizarre. It's, I I think it's a really weird way of like in terms of like professionalism as well. I don't think it's it's very professional of any of them people to uh, be posting about that sort of stuff. But like just fantasy, it just doesn't seem right in my opinion. Yeah, it just it just creates a weird situation. Like where if you're say for example Fulham now come in for Callum Chambers, Arsenal have got them dead to rights because they've been tweeting about how they're desperate for new centre backs. So Arsenal can go okay, twenty five million. Oh. And then, and, and on a deadline day, you never know. This is the situation you create. It's like with our lass going, oh, it's going to cost between 35 and 50 million or 40 and 50 million. Why are a club like Arsenal going to do anything but go, here's 40 million? Well, I think Arsenal played that whole deal so far perfectly. I don't think they should, they should not mm. fold to what Leon want because. Leon, they need money. They're sent, they're, they're gonna flop desperate. the pie to Barca, but they st- they need to balance the books, and that's why they're, they're, no way would any team sell Awa if they wanted wanted Awa. He's a class player, and they need to sell players. And if Arsenal offer like maybe it's like five mil less, and it gets to deadline day, and being like, oh, oh shit, um, we're gonna we need to sell someone here. We'll flog him to Arsenal. And it's just Arsenal doing the right thing there. And then I, so, I know you said about Fulham. Uh, they're tweeting about needing new centre backs. So they need new centre backs. You just can watch a game of football from them. They are absolutely horrendous. They were so bad yesterday <laughs> against Villa. Um, they are really so bad. bad. I can't believe we only beat them three 0 So bad. Um, Roy Keane said they made uh, Aston Villa look like Bayern Munich, and I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, it was it was insane how bad they was. Fulham badly need it. So yeah, it's it's just a strange it's a strange policy because I'm like. Even publicly, they've 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 lowered their valuation from sixty million euros to fifty to forty to forty, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's like, why have you done that? Yeah, it's just so bizarre. But I think, yeah, I agree with you, Connor. I think we played it well. I think they're trying to tempt other clubs in. I think that's the only reason that Aulas is going to do that because he currently we're the only club that's kind of making serious moves for that player. And if they want to get as much as they can for him, Aulas coming out and say, oh, okay, we'll take fifty million now. 
oh, okay, we'll take 45 million now, might bring a city or somebody else that maybe is on the same level as an Arsenal in that then can start a bidding war to push it up to that 50, 60 mark. So I was concerned about that, but I, that for me, there's a, you, you look at those clubs, you look at, say, the, the clubs that have been kind of touted, say, City, Barca and Juventus. If you look at all of their, if you look at all of their situations, I can't see those bids appearing. I can, I'm sure they're, in, I'm sure they're interested, but if you look at those situations, I don't think in any of the situations they're, they're particularly interested. No, 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 no. I, I, I can't at all. All right. Uh, Connor, I feel like we didn't really chat much at the beginning. I'd love to just have a little chat about you. How did you get into football? How did you get into supporting Arsenal? Where, where's it, where did it all start? Um, so my dad supported Arsenal. Um, so I just supported through my dad. Um, went to Highbury when I was a kid a couple of times. Um, you lucky bastard. It's, yeah, it was pretty surreal. I was like 10 years old, but like, I'd never forget that. My first ever game. We lost against Middlesbrough um, in, a, in, the, in the League Cup. It was the year, it was it was the invincible season, but it was uh, the, the league, that game when we lost to Middlesbrough at Highbury. I was like, oh. so because we lost, my dad took me again the next week. We played in the FA Cup and we beat him then. So <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. So I was like, yes, take that. And, um, but yeah, um, I got into Arsenal just when I was a kid, but I did. I stopped going for obviously for quite a lot of years, and then I got back into going like when I was more like adult and I could afford it a lot more. Um, like two thousand, literally the year we signed Özil, started going a lot more often, and uh, just end up meeting quite a lot of people through yeah. Arsenal. Like majority of my friends are Arsenal fans these days, and we just go up Amazing. there. Um, sometimes do away days and stuff, but that's just kind of like just brought Arsenal through yeah. that basically. And how did you get on the sort of Twitter hype? Um, so like. I was on Twitter originally. I think it was like 2011, 2012 when I was first on Twitter. And I, I didn't really understand it, but like I said, there was Arsenal fans and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is quite fun, this. And I had like about 1,000, 2,000 followers at the time. And um, I made like a fan account, basically. It was like a Jack Wilshire fan account. And um, with a few people. And um, ended up, they, they, they got up to like 10,000 followers. And then they just they just never tweeted at all. And I don't say 10,000, probably about six seven thousand followers and uh, all, all i would tweet about is like fan stuff like oh, jack wilshire is amazing look at this geezer he's sick and um you you sound a bit like jack wilshire you know you sound a little bit like him i wish i looked like jack wilshire that'd be right um, <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah i used to just absolutely adore jack wilshire basically and um but these these guys they stopped tweeting on the account, um, so I, I ended up just I just said to them, "Oh, do you mind if I just I'd use my account myself?" So I just ended up being I don't know if people remember I used to be called Tick Attacker Wilsh back in the day, and oh, um, I think I remember that. I think I remember that. That was me. <laughs> that was me originally. Yeah. I used to be called Tick Attacker Wilsh, and um, ended up making it like more of a, like a. It was still me. I still had like all the Wilshire fan fan but it was only, but it was only me tweeting on it. Ended up um, and it got to like. I don't know, I'm trying to think. Um, I ended up going to uni um, because I was like, oh, I hate my job at the time. So I went to uni when I was like 20. I only graduated when I was like 23 or something, 24 or something. Um, so I went quite late compared to like everyone else. The only reason I got into it because I went and did, I did sports journalism. And um, with the sports journalism, I, I, the only reason I got into that is because I really love football and I had quite a big Twitter following at the time. I was like, why don't I, my girlfriend at the time, she was like, oh, why don't you do that? And um, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. So I ended up going to do sports journalism. That's how like, I sort of got into it and just um, like the social media side of it and just, just got, got, got like, the, the hang of like Twitter, basically, and Instagram. So what, do you, what sort of fills your days now? How do you, how do you get by? Um, so I work for Arsenal's, well, was Arsenal's until, until about a week ago, uh, VBET. So I work for them. I run their social medias, uh, like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we just, yeah, so we run that on the daily. Um, I do quite a lot of stuff on my own channels as well, like um, promotional oh, stuff. Cool. Um, I've, got, I've got quite a few big accounts on Twitter mostly uh, and like, one on Instagram, um, but mostly just uh, stuff with that. Go on, uh, promote them. Uh, promote I can't, okay. Uh, I've got to plug the AFC newsroom. That's like a, I, create, I did that at university. It's like a, um, a website, it's just Arsenal News, basically. It was like a university project. And um, but some people like carried theirs on. Some people did, like obviously didn't care for it when they finished. I was like, oh, I've done a lot of this, so I'm just going to carry it on as a hobby. So I do that as a hobby. Write an article now and again. Got a couple of people working, like a couple of students when they want to like pitch in. I don't pay them or anything, but the, the website doesn't make any money. It's just pure like purely hobby. 
And if they need like um, any kind of like reference or anything, I can give them that. Like, I did have like two university students like did their placement with me, which is pretty mad. But the problem with that was it. Nice. it the, the problem with that was that like, they was both you my got mates. Little so, minions. Like, literally, the two yeah. of them were like, they were my mates. So I was like, "Why don't you do it with me?" And the uni, I don't know why they let them do it. They let them do it with me because I was, and um, <laughs> like one of them just didn't turn up one day. I was like, "Oh, okay." And the other one was like, well, "What the hell? Why, why did I come in then? You're a mug." <laughs> like, They're unreliable. Yeah, They're unreliable. He, he, he was fuming. <laughs> Um, that his mate got away of like not coming in. I was like, I don't really care. So <laughs> whatever. Um, so yeah. So th- that's pretty much it. Um, I've got a couple of other, couple of accounts. Uh, Arsenal S related is probably my biggest one. Um, most people probably know me from out of context Arsenal um, and maybe Curse Football. Um, I don't run them anymore. I I sold the pages. As most people, some people know, some people don't. Um, but uh, yeah, I sold the pages um, a few months ago. Um, but yeah, that's where I am at the moment. Uh, I, I, yeah, pretty much. Well, listen, we we massively appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a great chat. I've had a lot. It's of been fun. such mate. a good chat. We've had such a good time, and we'd we'd love to have you back on at some point if you if you fancy. Yeah, it. I'd love to, mate. Um, we'll probably get a few other people in there as well. Um, if, if, if you amazing, want. yeah, love that. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Cool, fantastic, fantastic. All right, Connor, absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. If you did enjoy that and want to hear some more, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using for a new podcast every Monday and Thursday. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiffKnock and check out our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.